Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. We now have our, our Bible reading, so if you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16 and verses 16 through to 34. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He And his whole household. Well, in verse 30, the jailer came comes up to Paul and Silas and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wouldn't you just love it if someone came up to you and asked you that question? I mean, I would just love it if someone called me Sir. But if someone was to ask me that question, I mean that would really make my day. But what led to the jailer asking this question? I mean, people don't normally just come up to you on the street and say, excuse me, but what must I do to be saved? So what led to the jailer asking this question? Let me make the suggestion that it was the lifestyle of Paul and Silas that led to the jailer asking this question. Firstly, take note of their response to the injustice. We read in verse 16, 
Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Verses 17 and 18, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So now, while these uh, demon-inspired words of the slave girl was offering free publicity for the gospel, when it continued for many days, it started to annoy Paul. You see, the fact... The fact of free publicity was no compensation for the fact that this girl was in spiritual bondage and she was being exploited by her owners in order to make money. And therefore, out of annoyance at evil and out of love for the slave girl, Paul says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And then we read in verse 19, when the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. Now take note of their motivation. Their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Again, take note of their accusation. They don't make any mention of their financial inconvenience. Rather, they appeal to the anti-Jewish feelings that were rife in Philippi. These men are Jews, us Romans. As a result, we read in verse 22 that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So a great injustice has taken place. In fact, an even greater injustice had taken place because Paul and Silas, we discover later in chapter 16, Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens. And Roman citizens were politically exempt from being uh, uh, beaten and, and flogged, and Roman citizens were entitled to a fair trial, something Paul and Silas hadn't received. So a a great injustice had taken place all because of an act of love, setting a slave girl free from spiritual bondage. And as a result, they were seized because of the slave girl's owner's love of money. Then they were stripped, beaten, and flogged, and thrown into prison because of racial hatred. And all their rights as Roman citizens had been violated. A great injustice had taken place. Yet we read in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were singing praise songs to God. Let me tell you, if I was Silas, And if I was in that prison cell with Paul, let me tell you, Paul would have been singing a solo. 
There's absolutely no way I would be singing praise songs to God. I would be moaning and groaning. I would be complaining that my rights had been violated. I would be demanding an independent inquiry. I would be demanding compensation because that's a natural response. But what we discover over here is that Paul and Silas's peace and joy is not dependent on favorable circumstances, but is dependent on being in a right relationship with God. And as a result, their peace and joy transcends their circumstances. It even transcends their own understanding. And Luke writes at the end of verse 25, and the other prisoners were listening to them. How do you respond when you're unfairly treated? How do you respond when you're a victim of an injustice? Because other people are listening to you. Secondly, take note of their sacrificial love. We read in verse 26, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The other prisoners could not have failed to have realized that this earthquake was a supernatural answer to Paul and Silas's prayer. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. In Roman law, if a jailer allowed one of his prisoners to escape, he was liable to suffer the same penalty that the prisoner would have suffered. So presumably he, he believes he's going to be killed, so he decides to commit suicide. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are all here. All the prisoners remained in the prison cells. Perhaps Paul had taken some kind of deliberate control over the other prisoners, like he does aboard the ship in Acts chapter 27. Or perhaps the other prisoners were just too frightened to leave when they saw Paul and Silas staying behind. Either way, Paul is able to prevent the suicide by announcing that they're all here. Now again, if I was Silas, and if I was in that prison cell, after that earthquake, Paul would have been sitting in that cell by himself. Because I would have been, thank you, Jesus, and out of the door. I mean, there's no way I'm going to be sticking around in prison. I'm going to get out of there. But what we discover over here is that Paul and Silas give up their opportunity of freedom in order to show love, sacrificial love, to this jailer. If this jailer isn't the actual guy who stripped them, beat them, flogged them, and threw them into prison because of racial hatred, he at least symbolizes that person. This was Paul's enemy. And yet it's to this enemy that Paul and Silas show this sacrificial love. And it's because of that love that the jailer asks them, what must I do to be saved? 
And if we want people to come up to us and ask us that question, then we need to start loving people sacrificially, even our enemies. Thirdly, take note of their availability. In verse 16, we discover that Paul and Silas were on their way to a place of prayer. Now, a place of prayer was a substitute for a synagogue. You had to have 10 males to establish a synagogue. Failing that, a place of prayer under the open sky would be set up. And Paul and Silas had had a very successful ministry at the place of prayer every Sabbath. For example, in verse 14, we read about how a woman named Lydia had responded favorably to Paul and Silas's message. So they'd had a very favorable ministry at this place of prayer. However, now they are in prison. They are being prevented from going to the place of prayer. Paul and Silas could have so easy have just thrown their arms up in the air and said, oh, well, there's nothing we can do now. We're stuck here in prison. We've got no way of getting to the place of prayer. I thought God had called us to Philippi to, to share his word, but now we're stuck here in prison. But they had an entirely different attitude. They realized that God could use them wherever they are. God could even use them in prison. And we need to have the same attitude. We need to realize that God can use us wherever we are. We don't have to be in church in order to minister because God can transform our workplaces. He can transform our school classrooms. He can transform our homes, our sports clubs. Our, he can transform the local pub into a place of prayer. Also take note, it's highly unlikely that a Roman jailer would ever go to a Jewish place of prayer. So God, rather than trying to get the, the Roman jailer to the place of prayer, God brings the place of prayer to the jailer. You see, before we can get the world into the church, we first need to take up the challenge of being the church in the world. My mom's a great example of this. When I was growing up in South Africa, she used to work in, in a school. Uh, she wasn't a teacher. She was a science laboratory assistant. You know the person who mixes the chemicals together and blows things up? That's my mom. And uh, she also used to help out in the printing room, doing all the printing of newsletters and notes and exam papers and so on. And it was in this printing room that she would encounter a lot of different people who needed printing done. And her prayer was quite simply that God would use her to touch people's lives, be it a, a word of encouragement, a listening ear, a quick prayer, or sharing the gospel. And, and God honored that prayer, and God transformed that printing room into a place of prayer, and in that room... My mother was the pastor. But also take note that they were praying. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. See, it doesn't matter how available you are. It doesn't matter how well you respond when you're a victim of an injustice. It doesn't matter how much you sacrificially love others. If, if you're not praying, then the door to the gospel will not be opened. 
You see, it was a result of Paul and Silas's prayer that God intervened with an earthquake that literally blew the prison doors open, but figuratively opened the door for Paul and Silas to share the good news about Jesus to the jailer. It's only when we live in the life and pray that God's going to open doors. That people are going to come up to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Or, or why, why are you a Christian? That's why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. What I've noticed is that when I'm praying, doors open. When I'm praying for people, when I'm praying for opportunities to share something of my faith, suddenly opportunities arise. When I'm not praying, they don't. What I've also noticed, uh, or what Victoria and I have found very helpful actually in sharing our faith it's very helpful to share your faith in a very natural way is to actually pray for people. <laughs> actually pray for your friends. And it's a great way to love your friend. Uh, whenever we find out that there's, there's a problem or a difficulty or an illness or, or that they're just stressed or worried about something, we just say, can we pray for you? And no one has ever responded, no. <laughs> Everyone welcomes prayer. And, and if it feels right, we will pray for them there and then. If, however, we, we sense that they might be a bit uncomfortable with that, we just assure them that we will be praying for them. And then we go home and we pray for them. And then the next time we meet up with them, we just ask them well, about the issue. How's it going? And more often than not, they reply, you won't believe it. But that issue has totally resolved itself. And then we simply say, wow, God answered our prayer. And then suddenly the door is open for us to share something about our faith in Jesus. So are you devoted to prayer? Are you praying for your non-Christian friends? Are you asking and praying to God to place open doors for you to share your faith? But there's another question, another issue. When someone asks you the question, what must I do to be saved? How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Take note of Paul and Silas' response. Their readiness to give an answer. When the jailer asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? We read in verse 31. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Paul didn't say, Well, you know, different people kind of say different things and I kind of like. No, he knows the answer and he has absolute confidence in the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now there's a myth that goes around that says that Christians should Preach the gospel by their actions and not with words. 
But that's only half a truth. Of course we have to preach the gospel by the way we live and the way we act. We've already seen that. But we still have to tell people the good news. You see, it's only when we tell someone the good news about Jesus that they can actually put their faith in Jesus. And that's why we read in verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. That they explained the gospel. They explained the good news about Jesus. And as a result, we read at the end of verse 34, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. See, it's only when we actually tell people the good news that they can put their faith in Jesus. And that's why we always need to be ready to give an answer. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So when someone asks you, when they, they say, what must I do to be saved, or why you're a Christian, or something else, then we simply need to share our story. Share our story about how and why we've put our faith in Jesus. And that's why we've, we've given everyone drum roll, giving everyone these, these Why Jesus booklets. Because it's a very concise, short explanation about who Jesus is, why Jesus died, and how we can come to experience forgiveness and freedom and life, how we can experience a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And so I hope you will take these these uh, Why Jesus booklets home and read them, and hopefully it, it will help you to be able to better explain the gospel, the good news about Jesus to other people. And then when these opportunities do arise and you have a faith conversation with someone, when you finish the conversation, you can give them the booklet so that they can take it home and read it for themselves in their own time and have more time to reflect on what you said to them. So I do hope you take them and make use of these books. When I was um, still in South Africa many years ago, and uh, there was a wave ski surfing competition in Durban. And so I went to Durban with a whole lot of other competitors, and it was a week-long competition, and so I was going to be staying in the same hotel with, the with these competitors all week, and my prayer was that I would be able to share something of my faith with them during the week. My prayer was that there would be an, an opportunity, an open door for me to share something, or that they would see something in my life that would prompt them to ask a question which would enable me to be able to share something of my faith. And so every day I prayed that God would give me this opportunity, this opening. And every day came and went, and no opening, no opportunity Arose. Eventually, I got to the last day of the competition, and I was praying, Lord, this is like the last day. Please let there be a, a, an opening, an opportunity uh, to share something, an open door, even like a, a faint question that will just allow me to, to share something of my faith in Jesus. And, and the last day came and went, and no opportunity arose. Eventually, we went out in that evening for the big prize giving celebrations, and, 
And it was about 12 o'clock at night. We were driving home. I was sitting in the back seat of this car, half falling asleep. And a guy called Steve was driving. His wife, Wendy, was sitting in the front seat next to him. And as we were driving home, Wendy suddenly turned around to me and said, So, Mike, why are you a Christian? I was kind of hoping for something a little bit more direct. Uh, <laughs> in fact, it was so direct, so blatant, I, I was totally taken off guard. I didn't know what to say. I think for the first five minutes, I was talking around in circles. Eventually, I got something out that sort of resembled my story about how and why I became a Christian. And I can remember that night, lying on bed and praying, God, please take those very feeble words and use them to plant a seed in their life. I was thinking, if I had one of these, these booklets, I could have given it to them, and that would have helped, but I didn't have one. And so I just prayed, Lord, please take those very feeble words that I, that I said and, and use it to plant a seed in their life. It was a number of months later that another Wayski surfing competition that Steve and Wendy came up to me and said, Mike, we just want you to know that we've become Christians and we're attending the local church. As far as I'm aware, they're still at that church today. You see, when we take up the challenge to be the church in the world, and when we are praying, then God will open doors for us to share the good news. And people will come up to us and they will ask, what must I do to be saved? It won't be every day, it won't be every week or every month, but God will open doors for us to share the good news. And then the question is, will you be ready to give the answer. Will you be ready to share the good news? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all that you have done for us, that we, we can experience forgiveness and freedom and life, that we can experience an intimate personal relationship with you, not because of anything we have done, not because we're good and we sorted, but because you're good and you did it for us on the cross. And Father, we, we confess that so often we don't pray. We're not devoted to prayer. We don't pray for our non-Christian friends enough. And Father, we, we confess that we don't continually pray for open doors to share the good news with others. And Father, sometimes we confess that we, we don't even take the opportunities that do present them. Sometimes we feel just a little too embarrassed, a little shy, and we, we lack the boldness and the courage. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us boldness and courage and sensitivity and gentleness to take advantage of all the opportunities that you give us. Now listen, in the, in the quietness of your heart, let's just spend a few moments in silence and let's reflect on people, allow God, by His Holy Spirit, to put people on your heart. Uh, maybe it's a friend, a work colleague, a neighbor, who you, you know you just need to share something of your faith with. And let's spend a few moments praying, praying for that. And maybe pray for that, the, the, the book, the little Why Jesus booklet, and pray, God, we pray that I'll be able to give it to them that that will make an impact in their life. Pray for that, op, that open door, that God would place an open door for you to share the good news with that person. And then pray that you'll be able to give them that booklet and that will make an impact in their life.
So, Heavenly Father, we want to just lift up all those names, all those people who you've burdened our hearts with. Father, we pray that in this coming week that, a, that an opportunity would emerge, that you would place an open door for us to be able to share something of our faith with that person. And Father, we want to pray for these, these Why Jesus booklets. Uh, we pray that you would use them to communicate your love and your grace to our friends. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Well, so there we have a challenge. So maybe next week we can have some testimonies. We're going to definitely be having testimonies at at the end of this month. And it'll be great for for us just to hear, yeah, an opportunity arose, a person I was praying for, it emerged, I had a conversation, I gave them the book. And just tell us about how it goes. It'll be lovely to, to hear the stories, to encourage one another. And we pray that God just ministers through that. And, and many people would be touched, at the very least, that they'll be touched with the love of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.